This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. This message comes from NPR sponsor Grammarly. Today, people are working to innovate and do more in their workdays. But coming up with fresh ideas and quick responses can be tough. Introducing Grammarly Go, a product offering personalized generative AI communication assistance that will change the way you write. With just a few clicks, Grammarly Go can ideate, compose, and rewrite thoughtfully, accelerating your productivity and unlocking your creativity. Go to Grammarly.com slash go. Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. We are undoubtedly in an era where our favorite queer musicians are having a great time. Lil Nas X, Saucy Santana, Sam Smith, Kim Petras. Queer pop artists are highly visible and unafraid of showcasing their sexuality in their art. But it wasn't always that way. This week, we're opening the vault of early 2000s queer history and looking at a turning point for the culture. The release of Russian pop duo Tattoos, All the Things She Said. The duo was made up of Lena Katina and Julia Volkova. And in the music video for All the Things She Said, the two make out. This was a big deal in the early 2000s. The video was banned from UK television, but the song still shot to the top of the UK charts and stayed there for four weeks. All the Things She Said hit number one in 13 countries. And in the US, the song was inescapable on MTV's TRL. And the kissing became as much a part of the story as the song itself. They made out on TRL. They made out on Mad TV. They made out on Jimmy Kimmel. And this was months before Britney Spears and Madonna would rock the world with their own kiss. So today, we're revisiting a conversation our senior producer Barton Girdwood had last year with writer Jill Gutowitz. The two make space for the song as both an anthem for queer women and a foremother in the queer baiting debate. Stay with us. I'm here with the queen of lesbian Twitter, Jill Gutowitz. Jill, what runs through your head when I say all the things she said running through my head? Oh my gosh, lesbian secrecy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You've recently released your first memoir called Girls Can Kiss Now. So I hope you're kissing now. I am. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And in it, you write, all of the wistfulness of staring out of a car window, that yearning for something, anything to whisk you away from your sad, dull life, that's lesbianism. Why is that lesbianism? I think so much of lesbianism is yearning for another person that you can't necessarily, like, say it out loud. Obviously, these days that's different, but, like, when I was growing up, that definitely was the case. And so I feel like even if the experience isn't explicitly queer, that the experience of looking out a window wistfully and feeling like, God, I'm just, (laughs) I'm so angsty. Like, I I feel like I'm in an Avril Lavigne music video. Like, you know, like just, just that feeling of wanting something that isn't there 
is like a very boiled down version of like what it felt like to grow up as a like closeted lesbian teen. <laughs> I can picture you sitting in the passenger seat of the car, staring out the window, your eyes just like off into the yeah. distance. <laughs> just like watching one <laughs> droplet of rain crawl down the window. And I'm just like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to play a little game with you. Um, we know the Bechdel test. Um, for you know, yeah, yeah. you know the Bechdel test. So, if we take that idea, I think we have a framework for the Gudewitz test. Okay. <laughs> for knowing if something is lesbian enough, <laughs> does it yearn enough? Um, wow. And I want to see if all the things she said passes that test. Off the bat, do you think it does? Yes. okay okay well let's test out some lyrics first to make sure i keep closing my eyes but i can't block you out want to fly to a place where it's just you and me nobody else so we can be free that is it that is that's everything i just said in a like jumbled dumb idiot way is a poetic way of saying i'm looking out the window wistfully and wishing i was with a woman (laughs) (laughs) yeah of course it passes it's so funny to me that like part of the experience of being gay at this point of time was so much about like what other people are thinking and and what you know what they think when they're watching you because it was just very Mm -hmm. like i'm being watched um, yeah, of course, that passes. <laughs> it, it's lesbian enough. Okay, um, so let's talk about the music video. Uh, we have to say that it's like this weird matrix green filter over the whole thing, which I guess is just part of the early 2000s. Yes. They're in schoolgirl uniforms. I think we can all think of other schoolgirl uniforms at the time. Britney Spears. <laughs> um, it's pouring rain. They're grabbing and hanging on iron fences. There's the, are they kiss or are they not going to kiss? There's something about the early 2000s. There was a filter over it. Like, it it looks like the movie 13 or, like, White Oleander. Important lesbian classics. Exactly. Like, all these, like, I don't know, films. I'll I'll, I'll include all the things she said music video as a film um, (laughs) that are, like, about, like, girls being bad that have this exact same look to them. (laughs) I love it. So, um, I have some bad news for you. Oh, no. (laughs) They weren't actually lesbians. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I am going to tell you the origin story of the song, which do you, do you know the origin story of the song? I do a little bit, but I really need a refresher. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I talked to author Daisy Jones, who in her book, All the Things She Said, wrote about the origin story. I should preface this is that this is a rumor and it's like stuff I've just like pieced together from what I've heard online. It's a love story, sort of, because songwriter Elena Kuyper and music producer Ivan Shapovalov were in love. They were working on forming a new pop group fronted by two teenage girls. And in that process, Elena went to the dentist. She was having dental surgery and was on some strong medication, as you get when you go to the dentist. And um, had a dream that she was kissing another woman. Oh my god. And she woke up saying, like, I've lost my mind. She went home to her business partner. Ivan Shapovalov, who was also her boyfriend. And they apparently um, added to the narrative and turned it into a song. She wrote all the things she said based on a drug dream. That is so funny. It's like, no, 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 I'm not gay. I was on drugs. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're digging into Tattoo's big lie and why that lie changes and doesn't change how this song has been remembered. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world, and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there, and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. So Lena Katina and Julia Volkova were picked to sing this song by the producer and the the writer. Um, they were packaged as lesbians from the very outset. Like, that's how they were cast. But it wasn't until December 2003, in a documentary that aired on Russian television, that it was revealed the two of them were not actually lesbians, that it was all an act. <laughs> Does that change anything about the song? It's so hard to grapple with, because... I think, like, it does change everything. It means it's, like, completely inauthentic and, like, openly problematic, but... How so? How is it problematic? I mean, it feels like, you know, they're, like, trying on an identity and selling it. So it's like they're profiting off of something that, at the time, was, like, heavily policed. Yeah. But I... I here's my, my newest contentious opinion, that, like... Obviously, it would have been better for them to be queer and for it to have been authentic. But like I said, like the music video isn't hypersexual and it isn't super exploitative of like women's bodies. Um, There is something about it where it's like, I don't know how many music videos were there at the time that depicted um, like an emotional, like an actual emotional love story between two women. And the answer is like none. Uh, none that were on the radio like that. So it's like, I don't know, there, it, there's good and evil in it, you know? Around that time period, there was also Christina Aguilera's uh, Beautiful. Um, and do you, do you remember that music video where yeah. uh, you are beautiful? And it's all <laughs> these different people that would be considered outcasts. Um, right. And one of them is these two men on a park bench. And I think it might be raining. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's always raining. It's always pouring uh, on gay people. <laughs> Even if you, like, made it up, like, it feels like it was raining in that it, video. <laughs> it feels like it was raining. Um, but they're kissing. And that was the very first time for me as a 11, 12-year-old to see two men kiss. And I remember that feeling of, like, my stomach sinking and being like, oh, my God, what is this? Yeah. Um, And that simultaneous, like... 
inability to look away, but so scared of what you're looking at because you just yeah. never seen something like it before and it means so much to you. Um, I was thinking about it and I was like, I've never gone to see if those were just two actors that they put on a park bench and made out. But what does stick with me is not who they were, but what I felt when I saw that. Well, I mean, like, you know, as you were talking about it, like, I'm thinking, like, I think intention is important, you know, like, I think Christina Aguilera's intention there was to show that, like, more than just, you know, straight white cis people are beautiful. If they weren't really, like, queer people in real life, like, obviously could have done better with that, um, you know, but I'm also thinking about, like, the all the things she said music video. It's like, it does feel like the intention behind it was overwhelmingly positive and to show oh. love between two women as being like something real that exists it's i mean it's also like in the music video there's like all those people standing on the other side of the fence under umbrellas yeah. judging them on all black with yeah, like, like angry looks on their faces true like funeral procession um yeah it does kind of feel like the perspective of the music video is that the people that are judging are wrong. So it, it's like, it, it does feel like the intention behind all the things she said was mostly positive, uh, at least tipping positive. Yeah. To take it a step further, um, the two singers, Lena and Julia, have both made homophobic statements since. Great. For example, when asked if she would condemn her son for being gay, Julia responded, yes, I would condemn him because I believe that a real man must be a real man. A man has no right to be a fag. Uh, Which, oh, my God. <laughs> does that make you think differently about the song? It does. It does. I like how you, you teed me up to be like, no, actually, it's good. And then... <laughs> it's good. And then bad. Um, it does. Because, you know, like... You know, there's, like, the case of, like, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl, which, you know, was, like, a similar where that I think that came out in 2007 or 8. And mm -hmm. at the time, there, like, wasn't that many songs, if any, that were, like, a major pop radio hit that were talking about, like, girls kissing girls. And also, that being said, the lyrics were homophobic and painted queerness as, like, something to do while your boyfriend's away or while you're drunk yeah. or whatever. Like, it wasn't, like, a great depiction of, like, queerness between women. Um, but, like, Katy Perry has since, like, come out and kind of grappled with that publicly and been like, yeah, I regret some of those lyrics and I don't think that now and, you know, is obviously, like, a big ally to the queer community. So it's, like, in some ways is, like, a forgivable offense and also as a queer woman, that is a bop and I love it. But to hear that, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, there's another version of this where the, a song like, similarly comes out about, you know, two women being together that is not made by queer women, <laughs> that then the one of the singers goes on to say, to, like, truly use a slur <laughs> to describe gay people, that's extremely disappointing. So there is another moment in your book where you write about how as a teenager and young adult, when you still weren't out, that you went from boyfriend to boyfriend and you sum them all up as a live, laugh, love sign that hangs above the kitchen sink. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> and all that time you're just staring out the window yes. watching the rain drip down the side thinking, This is it for me. <laughs> Okay, but yes. wait, now we're in the year 2022 and you have a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> Do you still 
have that sense of yearning? Is that still a part of what it feels like for you to be a lesbian today? I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, in in most ways, no, because, like, I, I do have a girlfriend. We've been together for three and a half years, and so... And we also live together and work out of, you know, work from home and are literally always near each other. I don't know how we could yearn for each other. We see each other all day, every day. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that, like, yearning was a big, big, big part of my, like, coming out process. And when I first started dating, I was always going after people who were, like, not really available or yearning for a girl who was, like, straight and not interested because I think so much of the, like, media I consumed and, like, the stories I was watching on, like, film and TV were about, like, a lesbian who has feelings for somebody who doesn't have them back or maybe they do and they kiss and then like in Lost and Delirious one of them dies like it just that like there's always this element of you can want the thing and you can maybe even have it for a little bit but it's not forever yeah and I think I had to like actively work to change my course of thinking around it and be like that's not normal or healthy to like live in the yearn and keep yourself at bay basically hmm. the goal is to find a, a healthy and stable relationship with somebody who really likes you back <laughs> yeah and that was like so core to like the narrative of what it meant to be a lesbian and at the turn of the century what it meant to be gay what it meant to be queer yeah um and then like here we are in our 30s, <laughs> yeah. looking at a, a younger generation that has more representation, that has more diversity of stories, um, that has representation that's authentic. And I wonder, like, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but do you think that, like, that yearning is something that they experience? I do. You know, I think that, like, we assume that generally we are, like, past all of this stuff. And, like, maybe in, you know, Brooklyn and coastal cities and Los Angeles, like, you know, I do see, like, a lot of people that I know who have kids that are, like, you know, 10, 11, that are, like, identifying as queer or non-binary or, like, whatever. Um, and so there definitely is, like, so much progress and a lot of um, kids and teens who, like, don't experience this kind of, like, repression yearning uh, because people are so much more, like, open and queer and they can just, like, I don't know, meet a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whoever at school um, and just date, which is crazy. I, like, it literally couldn't be me, couldn't imagine. Um, but I think also we forget that there is, like, mostly people who don't experience that, you know, um, like, throughout the rest mm. of the country. I do think that they're, like, still a ton, a ton, a ton of queer kids and teens who experience love and desire through yearning still. We do still have a lot of like film and TV stories that depict lesbianism or any queerness as like a thing that can never fully be. Mm. So yeah, I would say that like a lot of people do experience that for sure. Even though we like feel culturally like we're past it, like we're definitely not. I was in a uh, gym class last week and the instructor was playing a circuit remix of all the things she said. <laughs> I felt it. I knew it because it would always be a part of me. 
that yearning yes. and knowing that it came from a place that was bad, but it gave me something. Yeah. No, it's, I literally like, <laughs> this sounds insane to say, but I mean it wholeheartedly. It's like a part of our history, you know? It's such like a part of, you know, queer people's history to have yeah. not been able to talk, like talk about these things as openly as you and I are right now. Um, and so... It, I don't The yearning is deep in our bones, I think. We can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about all the things she said. I really like all the things that you said. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. That was It's Been a Minute senior producer Barton Girdwood talking to Jill Gutowitz. Her debut collection of essays is called Girls Can Kiss Now. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Corey Antonio Rose. It was edited by Jessica Mendoza, Jessica Placzek. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional $200. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.